Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. From the moment I heard about who Stuart Muir was at the NEAEP Symposium, I knew I would like him. Anyone who coordinates Paige Poss and Dr. Bowker to speak at the same conference is probably an above-average human being. Armed with this information, I introduced myself to him at the symposium and asked if he would be on the podcast. I wasn't quite sure what the focus of the episode would be yet, but when I heard that he was doing a session on vets and farriers working together, I knew I wanted that to be the focus of the next episode. Stuart and I talked about a lot of aspects of working with veterinarians in our hoof care business. We touched on how to build relationships, ways we can present a united front to the client, and how valuable it can be to work with a veterinarian, especially in terms of their knowledge, experience, and the use of imaging equipment to better inform our decisions. So why don't we start and say your name and how you're involved in hoof care. Uh, my name's Stuart Mueller, and I'm one of the resident farriers at Rudin Ridley Quine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. I become interested in hoof care actually at quite a young age. I had a, um, a pony, like most children do, and um, my farrier would come and work on this pony, and I was always intrigued by what he was doing. Uh, and I got chatting to that farrier, and he was a nice older guy, and he turned around and said to me at one point, he's like, you know, you should really give this a try if you're interested in horses. So just like that, I, I picked up the rasp and I, I trimmed a foot that day as soon as he offered. And um, I remember it quite well. And like in my mind's eye, I can still see that foot. And I, I don't know if I would agree with that same job that I did today then. But, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. And then from there, every time he come to shoe my father's and my horses, he would always get me involved with the process. And uh, eventually I was still at school at that point. We built up a, a rapport and relationship with him. And during my school holidays, I would go and work for him for free, um, just trying to gain more and more experience. And then eventually when I was ready to finish schooling, he took me on as an apprentice for four years. And that was great. I, it really opened me up to a lot of cases within New Zealand. And, you know, we shot a large amount of horses and, you know, there was certainly a lot to be learned. During that time, I also... Uh, become involved with the New Zealand Farriers Association, and I went. Through, I started my certification process with them while I was still under apprenticeship with uh, that older gentleman. And also during that time, I, I was lucky enough to spend more time with another farrier called Norm Brown, and he had a, a little blacksmith shop next to a next to a bar, basically. And then he had an old coal forge. We'd, I'd sit there and make shoes with him on a Saturday, like just for four or five hours. But he was a wonderful old blacksmith. And from there, um, I got my certification and through the New Zealand Farrier Association. And I started my own business when the gentleman that I was working for retired. I took on a lot of his clientele, so I was very lucky there. I kind of just worked away for a few years, kind of establishing that clientele and trying to better myself as a farrier and learn as much as I could. I started to attend uh, seminars and workshops, and eventually, you know, I was just very, very thirsty for more and more information because it seemed the more I thought I knew, the less I, you know, the practical side of it didn't all kind of stack up, and I figured that I was a variable in that, so I, I certainly looked to get as much education as I could from there. After a certain amount of seminars, I was flying to America and I was flying all over the show to try and, you know, get that education that I was looking for, always looking for that next piece of information to, you know, put all the pieces of the puzzle together. New Zealand has a New Zealand Equine Research Foundation, which they have scholarships available for the betterment of veterinarian and farriers. And eventually I was lucky enough to, to get one of those scholarships that actually flew me to, I, I used the money from the scholarship to get to America to attend the International Hoof Care Summit with one of the veterinarians from New Zealand, which was great. It was a huge, huge thing for me. And, you know, that really helped my uh, education and pushed me along. From there, I went to Rudin Reliquine Hospital for the first time afterwards, because, of course, from Cincinnati to Lexington, Kentucky, it's only an hour or so away. So I externed there. Uh, for a week at the hospital and that's what really amazed me because I could get the the educational side from the seminars but I really needed to see the hands-on side and of course they were doing a lot of glue work at the time this is probably going back 10 years 10 years ago and I came home and I started to put all the pieces together and 
but unfortunately my thirst for knowledge still wasn't kind of satisfied so I actually flew myself back to Rudin Riddle it was about two years after that and I spent another week or 10 days at the hospital and uh, I turned up there and they kind of said to me they're like oh, are you here for the farrier's job and I was like well no but I said I might be tell me more about it <laughs> so I called my wife and I was like hey on a whim how do you feel about moving to America and she's like yeah why not let's do it so I uh, rushed down to a clothing store and bought a nice shirt and a clean pair of jeans and started the interview process which is like a work along process you know work along ride along I came back to New Zealand afterwards and we just awaited the email which I eventually got and Dr Morrison asked if I wanted the job and that's kind of kind of brings you up to where where I am at the moment in my career I guess yeah, and it seems like you do a bit of traveling too. Do you travel a lot to teach or just to to work on horses or both? A little bit of both, really. With the hospital, the, the clientele we attract can be from all over the country. And so within the hospital, it's, you know, there's essentially four podiatrists. There's Dr. Morris and Dr. Brass, Dr. Fleming and Dr. Lisa. And they'll all have farriers kind of riding along with them. And so the cases will come into the clinic generally. We will get that kind of the pathology or whatever is going on kind of somewhat under control. And then the podiatrist will kind of hand it on to the farriers to kind of maintain. And so with that can come a little bit of travel once these horses go back to whichever state they come from. Sometimes we'll travel out to work on them. Or, you know, it could just be that the barn has a need. And like I've been kind of working in Chicago and Michigan in the past few years and Columbus. And of course, then there's the winter circuit in Florida, which I'll make um, you know monthly trips down to make sure my clients are looked after down there. So along with that, there is a teaching kind of side of it as well. I enjoy lecturing and trying to help other farriers, you know, try and figure this this farrying deal out a little bit because you know it's such a huge learning curve and trying to access that information. I just if I can speed up someone else's process, I'm certainly more than happy to do so. Yeah, definitely, and. You know, I was able to go to the NEAEP symposium about two weeks ago now, and I found out from Paige Poss that you had been in charge of helping with figuring out who was going to be speaking for the podiatry side of things. And I thought the speakers were all fantastic, and that was actually what drew me to go to the symposium. So can you talk a little bit about how you chose those sure. speakers? Yeah. It was a really interesting process because in my mind, I... I wanted to put together a program that um, sort of complemented each other and it was cohesive. So my focus this year was shoeing to internal anatomy because I think quite often as hoof care providers, we we can get very fixated about what we're seeing externally on the, in the hoof capsule when ultimately, you know, everything we're seeing on the outside comes from the inside. You know, like I had Dr. Bolker and Dr. Van Epps and uh, of course Paige. I mean, there's no one better to display internal anatomy and hoof capsule distortions and page. So before I knew it, all these kind of speakers came together. And, you know, like I say, I, I think if we can start to think about the hoof capsule from the inside and what kind of, you know, anatomy we're trying to stimulate with our work, and it doesn't matter what work we're doing, whether we're barefoot trimming or whether we're shoeing or whether we're trying to address pathology, ultimately, you know, it's those internal structures that we're trying to influence. So... The great thing about the EDAEP is we always try to have, you know, new information for our attendees. We try to, like, have a certain focus within the meeting. But having veterinarians there so we can get on the same page about stuff, it's so good. I think veterinarians are also seeing how much influence good footwork has on the horse. And so they're interested from their ends as well. You know, you think back 10 years ago and a horse equine podiatrist was almost unheard of. And now, certainly in the bluegrass, that we're seeing more and more pop up where they've not only done a veterinary degree, but the certified journeyman farriers. It's a very cool movement. So my name is Dave Dawson and I've been a farrier. My first part of my career this year being 25 years. About three years ago, I took on the position uh, as executive director, CEO of the Northeast Association of Equine Practitioners. And for the last three years, we've been looking at bettering this association and trying to work on the veterinary farrier relationship and developing new ways that we can try to help them, uh, let's say, get along better, work together better, 
uh, understand each other's profession better. And that's a large part of what we've been doing. I suppose one of the biggest things that I feel very strongly about and one of the things that we openly communicate about at the NAAP board level is that if we really want veterinarians and farriers to be able to work together cohesively, we need to do away with the whole ideology of a shoeing prescription. Even with the AAEP uh, Vet Farrier Short Course program that I'm very fortunate enough to travel around a little bit and give to uh, new veterinary students, we very much focus on that and we very much teach that, that a good veterinarian that really wants to get involved with equine podiatry should align themselves or get to know the farriers that are in their area and get to know who are the ones that they can work with. It's very important to establish this working relationship so that you can call each other in and it works both ways. You can call each other in to work on a case and you, you sometimes already half know what the other person is thinking if you've worked with them enough. And this type of relationship exists not just in the veterinary farrier world, but it's everywhere in the working world. And we have to find people that we can work with in a very good way because it's the horse that benefits ultimately and also the owner through that working relationship. So example is we have a problem that's identified with the horse that the veterinary thinks that farriery can help or if there's an area of the farriery that the veterinarian isn't quite sure of or doesn't think it's something that is working well for that particular animal, then just being able to identify the problem or talk about the problem with two people working together as opposed to writing a prescription and having somebody do it or fulfill it. Uh, it's not the way, it's not, we're not prescribing medication. So when we're working with two individuals, we need to go at it from a, a different perspective. One of the things that we are trying to work on at NAAP is the language that exists between farriers and veterinarians. And that is, farriers don't necessarily understand veterinary medicine because they're not educated in it. And veterinarians don't necessarily understand farriery because they're not educated in it. However, what happens is we get lost in this problem that all of our horse owners and trainers, and let's call it the equine society, gets lost in, and that is knowledge through ignorance and knowledge through past practice, but not necessarily knowledge through continuing education or understanding exactly what it is that we're doing. We get a lot of people today that that look to Dr. Google to figure things out and to work on things and think they have a solution and be their own self-righteous experts. And that creates a big problem between two working professions like the veterinarian and the farrier. And whenever we get a veterinarian that comes into a barn to work with the farrier or just working with the client, the farrier isn't there, and the veterinarian considers that they have knowledge and experience to be able to comment on the applied farriery to the equine animal, that's where the slippery slope starts, and that's where we start to get a problem. And it's the same thing with farriers, and farriers being in barns every five weeks, six weeks, whatever the time frame would be, they more than likely see the horse owner more often than the veterinarian does. And if the farrier starts to comment on veterinary medicine or veterinary practice or by ways that people are practicing, that also is the point that starts an extremely slippery slope. And if we could spend more time on educating our professions on appropriateness, on how to be and how to be appropriate, how to be professional, that I believe we will start to change the way this is visualized by both professions. And that's something that we have a committee that is going to be working on. And hopefully that's something that we'll be able to come out in industry with to, I guess, not really say to people, smarten up. But in essence, that's what it's saying. Smarten up and start treating people better and start treating each other right. And then we can start to do better, if that makes sense.
so at the NEAP symposium, you had a session too, and you were talking about working with vets on chewing prescriptions? Yes, uh, yeah. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think it's so important to collaborate with other professionals in this field. And I know that, at least in my area, it can be a little bit daunting to think about working with uh, working with vets, really. Just to begin that conversation, do you have any tips for hoof care providers on how to forge a relationship with vets in your area? Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to like appreciating where the other person is coming from. It doesn't matter whether you're a vet or you're a fairy. There's no way we can know everything about, you know, the, the distal limb. And I find, you know, because I'm working with veterinarians nearly every day, just appreciating where each other's coming from and making sure that we remain as professional as possible. I think if there's any animosity between the two, you know, it's just it's just differing opinions and how to go about it. And also for each party, you know, we're not really sure of where the other's skill set can be. So I think, you know, just make sure that certainly not discussing or having any disagreements in front of the clients is a really good start. Like typically myself, if a veterinarian has been at one of my clients or a new client that I'm going to, I'm going to call that veterinarian before I get to the appointment. I don't want to be discussing too much. I'd like to, I'd like to be cohesive in front of the client with the veterinarian when I'm there. So when we're working with vets, is there a time where you might proactively reach out to them before you meet a client or before you see a horse that they work on? Yeah, absolutely. I, again, it just it really just comes down to developing professional relationships. And if we approach the hoof industry like that, we you know there can be no negative downside of that. So, I think reaching out like uh, at the symposium recently um, with the Northeast Association of Equine Practitioners, you know that's the wonderful thing about a format like that is you've got vets and farriers, and invariably you end up chatting away to them, and you might show them a couple of pictures, and they've got time at you know conferences and things like that to interact with you and you know i think quite often you know in situations like that with open panel discussions we can really get to the bottom of some question and answers that people have been thinking for a long time so open up communication you could always as well you know drop into the veterinary practice introduce yourself and i think just approaching the situation as as a professional and i don't think you can go wrong with an attitude like that do you have any tips when you're meeting a veterinarian for the first time with a client or without a client? Yeah, I think, you know, when I'm meeting a veterinarian for the first time, if I haven't previously had a relationship with that veterinarian, I'll normally have the owner there with me. If we look at things to improve that relationship and the first contact with that veterinarian is hoof care providers, I think dress tidy, be punctual, be articulate, and just, you know, be open-minded as to what you're actually about to see. By the time, you know, the vets run some diagnosis on that horse, you're going to know a lot more about the pathology or lameness. And sometimes it's a very simple situation. Sometimes, you know, we may need to elevate it further from there. So I think just general professionalism throughout those appointments is going to get you a long way in establishing a good relationship with the veterinarian or other healthcare providers in the horse industry. I know for me, a lot of the first times I'm meeting a veterinarian is for a radiograph appointment. And I didn't know if you had any tips for how to approach that or uh, requests that you might have for a veterinarian when taking radiographs. Well, I think it's a great situation to open up dialogue between veterinarians and hoof care providers. It's a fantastic situation for that because, you know, the information is there and it's fresh that's the exact time where I would open up some dialogue and I'd be like, well, you know, we're seeing this and this. You know, a lot of horses are growing out of balance between trim cycles. The first time I trim a horse, quite often, you know, I'll know more about that horse when I go back in four weeks' time to retrim it because I can see how it's growing. I can see how it's diffusing. So, you know, that first time I see radiographs, that's also going to help because at that time, really we're going to be uh, looking at uh, limb conformation as well. And I think all these things affect the hoof capsule, even down to a microvascular level where, you know, we're seeing higher perfusion rates medially or laterally, and that can influence the trim a lot. So these are all things you can talk to your veterinarian about when you're at that appointment getting radiographs taken. So great place to open up some dialogue. And do you usually have the the owner let you know when that appointment is and try to just make it a point to go? 
Well, quite often what I'll do is I'm the one instigating the radiographs, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm in the picture, hopefully right from the very start. And, you know, that's the hoof care provider's responsibility to make themselves available for that appointment. From there, you know, you turn up, you introduce yourself, you can already start to, you know, make some kind of rapport with the veterinarian and start to formulate a plan together. And I think that's the most valuable thing that that working relationship can have is just, you know, starting to put the plan together. Both of you are happy with where it's at. Moving forward, you've got a plan. And if that plan doesn't succeed, well, then together you can put your heads back together and come up with something, something else. And you just keep moving forward. And if you can't be at the radiograph appointment, do you ask the owner or the vet to get in touch with you um, or send you a copy? Yeah, absolutely. I I always uh, try to get a copy sent to me of the radiograph. So I've got them on file myself, which is really handy to have. You can kind of note the progress. And then you've also got a baseline radiograph going forward. So one of the first things that I'll ask for, um, especially on a new client, new horse, um, and a new veterinarian relationship. So we can both have a baseline of where we're moving from there. So I think that's really important. I think, you know, making sure we've used good radiographic technique. Radiographic technique in relation to podiatry, you know, we're looking for different things. You know, Dr. Brass and Dr. Roll have kind of noted in literature that we're looking for a low beam. We want the wings of the coffin bone superimposed on each other. So, you know, as far as, you know, getting the radiographs, I do like to be there when the radiographs are taken. Uh, But that's more so we can make sure we're getting the right views as we go. Yeah. And so do you request views while the vet is there or do you contact them beforehand if you know they're going to see a horse that you work on yeah this i mean there's certain views that are going to be relative to you know hoof care professional you know we're looking for laterals we're looking for dps and then as soon as which are your basic balance radiographs beyond that when we start to get into skylines and you know navicular shots and that kind of thing you know orientation of the beam is really important you know um as it is with your laterals and dps we want you know like i say that coffin bone the wings of it superimposed We've got to be careful about what we're viewing within the radiograph in a DP format because, you know, there's so much osteolysis found in uh, coffin bones these days. You know, when we address balance like that, sometimes we've got to look at the joint spaces of the coffin joint to get a true read. You know, it's it's very, very common that, you know, confirmation and even the way the horse is standing on the blocks is going to have a significant impact on how those radiographs look in terms of, you know, looking at balance. So I'm always looking at the health of the coffin bone. I'm looking for the positioning. I'm looking also at limb position while the radiographs are taken. So, you know, like I say, the podiatry radiographs are a completely different thing. Uh, we're not looking generally at the coffin joint too much unless there's obvious pathology in there. So, yeah, we've got to be kind of careful when we're taking those radiographs and making sure we're getting the most detailed, accurate information we can. Has there ever been a time when you've requested a view to be retaken because of what you're looking for? No, I think most of the time that, you know, if for whatever reason the horse may have moved or whatever it will be, you know, both parties know that it's not an ideal shot. But, you know, what can be a really good thing to do is, you know, for hoofkey providers to become familiar with radiographing you know i think in the future that i'd love to see all farriers or trimmers or whatever it will be have a radiograph machine it's so it's so important to you know to make sure that balance is right so an idea could be you know just turn up the vet clinic and see if you can ride along with a sport horse veterinarian for a day and try to see what they're seeing because you know i can from a working in a hospital situation, you know, the changes that we see in the coffin bone are very, very significant horse to horse. My name is uh, Sean Morell. I'm the equine podiatrist at Rudin Riddle in Saratoga Springs, New York. I predominantly work on horses with a lot of foot problems from laminitis and navicular syndrome to infections to just trying to correct some deviations in foals and yearlings and try to help keep the comfort of the horse going for as long as they're riding or in their career or, or for racing or even just for pleasure riding as well. Yeah, so I think uh, having a veterinarian and farrier team to benefit the foot care of the horse is, you know, paramount. I think both parties need to have a, you know, good open mind because 
Each person carries uh, experience uh, in certain aspects of the field. Not everyone is an expert in everything. So farriers might be more geared towards the application of shoeing mechanics. Certainly there are farriers that do a lot of therapeutic work, whereas veterinarians are probably more aware of the problems internally as far as you know, structure and physiology goes and, and what needs to be protected or what might need to be supported. So it's good to have both of them on board and have an open mind for each aspect because what a one person might feel is, is the best course for the foot of the horse may not actually work appropriately based on the other person's experience. So it kind of goes both ways. So it's always good to work as a team and maybe just uh, come up with a game plan and, and figure out what's working and what isn't because you can always go back and modify the foot care for the horse just to get them going in the right direction. It always helps when you know a vet and farrier team can kind of further education either together at a clinic or even just kind of working with other groups that have a little bit more experience so that they can have a kind of general idea of what, what they can do for the horse because you know everybody goes about shooting a horse differently and, and looks at the foot differently. And so if you happen to work with another guy that's been shooing a certain way, they may point out things that you may not be aware of. Same thing if you work with another vet and farrier team. They may have had experience with a certain problem that that maybe you're currently having an issue with and just kind of reached about everything out of the, the bag to help the horse and just not getting anywhere and they may point you in the right direction. I think people get a little bit uh, irritated when the other party kind of dictates the entire plan and especially when a person's more experienced um, and they've had some of these issues come about they, they kind of see what works and what doesn't work so I think just having an open mind to both both persons opinions I think he'll come out with a pretty decent showing plan that helps the horse out in the long run and, and keeps the client and the horse happy and hopefully comfortable as well too. And are there times when you're working with a horse that you call a veterinarian in and at what point do you do you decide to do that it really depends you know i think that's a lot of evaluation that our hoof care providers are really good at we're very very good at interpreting what we're seeing with their eyes and also helping with their hands we're very hands-on and the thing about it as well is hoof care providers see these horses so regularly you know we get to know them very very well their little intricacies that they have um, so if we see that a horse is off or not moving so well even the way a lot of the time horses feel when we're showing them you know like if you pick up a back leg and the horse is tight and it's normally not farriers are the first ones to feel that so you know if i'm seeing anything that could potentially relate to internal pathology that I'll call a veterinarian in straight away. You know, if it's something obvious, you might see it, you might feel that the digital pulse is elevated and then I'll start poking around a little bit. And I think that falls, you know, within a scope of practice for a farrier, you know, scope of practice for a farrier is something that's not talked about too often because we kind of make our way into these situations and we research the pathology and then we'll give it a shot. You know, it might be a, a hoof boot or it might be a shoe or whatever it will be. But generally, if, if I find something that doesn't quite stack up for me within my examination process that I have, I'll call in a veterinarian straight away. And so do you have times where you feel that there should be a veterinarian involved and the owner is hesitant or doesn't really see the value in having a veterinarian see their horse too? Yeah, I, I do. Um, and I think that's a... a kind of issue that a lot of hoof care providers will find is you know sometimes it's financial resources sometimes it's the the client just doesn't really see the value in having absolute diagnostics at that point again i think you know i have some clients that we will kind of walk our way through lameness a little bit because as soon as we talk about bringing a veterinarian in we're normally talking that it's a lameness issue and of course there's a wide variety of lameness issues so that kind of comes down to experience whether that's something you think you can manage whether you think it's hoof distortion related or maybe something you know deeper into the horse's foot that needs looked at again it's just a really good time to open up those communication lines with your client and my advice would be try to be as transparent as what you possibly can you know i know there's some would say there's some animosity between vets and farriers at times but after working with a large hospital like brood and riddle for nearly eight years 
you know, without good sport horse medicine and diagnostics, my shoeing can be very hit or miss, you know, and I think that's why we have a lot of success at the hospital is because, you know, as far as we've, we can really fine tune our shoeing to the pathology through diagnostics that we're seeing. You know, a lot of pathology that we see through diagnostic imaging, whether it's ultrasound, whether it's MRI, whether it's radiograph, you know, how we interpret that in our work as far as is ultimately what, what creates success for the horse. So for me, I really, I, I honestly, uh, I couldn't do what I do without a good veterinarian behind me. And can you think of a time when diagnostics really made all the difference in a case? I guess um, I think diagnostics are important to diagnose the lameness, but then it's also important that we reassess, you know, yeah. as far as soft tissue tears go, we should almost be reassessing once the horse is sound to make sure that those supporting ligaments and all that are actually in good enough shape to move forward. So horse showing is, in, in a lot of ways, trimming is very, very easy, but it gets very, very complex very, very quickly. Yeah. I'll share a case with you that I worked on recently, and I think I this is like one of those pivotal cases in my career that and it's only been in the last few months, and it just shows you how you continue to learn and learn and learn, and, and it made me appreciate the veterinarian's input so much more, whereas I had this uh, nice warm blood horse, and it was bilaterally off in front. I tried two or three different chewings, and we thought it was saddle fit. I was you know, communicating with the veterinarian and we're both a little bit not really sure what was going on. And because of the duration of the lameness up to that point, which is like two or three months, and I tried two or three different shoeing modalities to try and offset this lameness. Luckily, the the owner was very, very open to an MRI. So we sent the horse down to the hospital, had an MRI, and it had uh, impar ligament strain. And it was a really turning point for that horse's future because, you know, here I was, I was trying to get this horse going, I was doing this, that, the next thing. Um, but ultimately, as soon as we had that diagnosis of impar ligament strain, that horse had 16 weeks of rest. So, and that's what I say is, you know, this integration from veterinarian to farriers, without that information, I would have been doing that horse in a service. Certainly, it was a clear case to me that with more information, we can really help these horses a lot faster, you know, retrospectively. I spent 12 weeks trying to get that horse sound with different shoeing changes. With 16 weeks rest, that horse is back in work now and performing well because wow. we knew exactly what was going on. It certainly opened my eyes a little bit. And, you know, I think we need to be sure of what we're doing when we're trying to influence lameness. You know, hoof care providers don't talk about the contradictions within hoof care, which I think is really important that we can learn just as much from our failures as our successes. Yeah. So my name is Ron Gaeta. I'm an equine veterinarian based out of Newtown, Connecticut. Been practicing for 32 years, primarily with uh, what we now call sport horses, hunters, jumpers, dressage, and polo. Also have a smattering of Western pleasure and uh, barrel racers. I've been very fortunate in my area, Northern Fairfield County, Westchester County, that we've got a lot of super farriers and we've always worked well together, the majority of us. But it's gotten to be more and more important these days that the vets and the farriers all work together to benefit the horse because it's, if you don't have a good base below you, it's gonna affect everything up above. So we really work hard to foster that relationship. It's one of the reasons I became involved with the Northeast Equine Practitioners uh, at its inception 11 years ago to try and just really cement that relationship and build on it. And it's, um, in some instances, it's been a little hard because over the years, farriers have been sort of talked down to by veterinarians. I've seen it happen multiple times and it's not fair, it's not professional. We have a lot to learn from the farriers and there are certainly things that we can teach them as well and by working together to you know, help them to, to utilize radiographs and uh, recognize the different pathologies in the foot and what we can do about it together, we're all gonna help our patients. I think something we often struggle with is when, as vets and hoof care providers, we have different ideas on which exact approach to take on the horse's feet. When I asked Stuart about this, he encouraged me that instead of talking about a particular prescription, to consider the concept we are looking at. What internal structures are we hoping to stimulate or improve? And how can we affect those with our work? Talking about the concepts with the vets may get at a variety of approaches that we both may be comfortable with. Are there times when the veterinarian 
prescribe something that you think might not be as successful as something else that that you can try? You know, within the realm of horseshoeing and therapeutics and horseshoeing and stuff like that, there's almost like a revolution happening right now of with pressure plates uh, and other diagnostics where we understand the loading forces that are associated with different therapeutic shoeing. So some of our, our principles and theories are actually changing very much right now after you know, 100 or 200 years of the farrier profession not changing much at all. We're actually seeing quite a lot of change right now. And that can be through, you know, uh, composite shoes or whatever else as well, where there's a lot of things open to practitioners. But as far as uh, challenging a shoeing prescription, if I think we could do better for the horse, I'll normally talk to the veterinarian away from the horse itself or away from in front of the client and just you know more deliver concepts you know like let's use a pathology like navicular because it's widely known you know typically we wedge the feet up and we'll do all sorts of things but that comes with certain complications over time as well and all of a sudden you know like a very simple idea gets very very complex well you can very very quickly contradict yourself with your sharing prescription so for you know healthcare providers i think the details matter it's not we can't really just give it a blanket approach where it's like this shoeing prescription has worked for a hundred other horses, therefore it will work for this horse. So I think we both sides need to be open to the idea of that the shoeing over time may not be sustainable. And for two, that all going well, to be honest, I'd like to see the shoeing start to change over time. I'd like to think that whatever problem we had, unless it's really established pathology, that you know hoof capsule distortions are going to start changing, and therefore the shoeing prescriptions and the trimming is going to need changing too. So it, there's a certain amount of fluidity to the situation where both parties should be aware that things are going to need to change. So I'm Jennifer Melcher, and I'm an equine veterinarian in right outside of the Atlanta area. What I noticed was that a lot of vets and farriers were having trouble communicating in my area and that um, farriers would almost recoil at some of the things vets were saying. And, and I, I felt that maybe there was a problem with the communication between the two because we do speak slightly different languages. And, and trying to learn one another's languages, we can do better for the horses overall uh, rather than fight one another. Really, the goal, the outcome is usually the same. We want the same outcome, but we fight each other getting there. And in the end, the horse loses. Not, you know, it's not about egos. In the end, it's about the horse. I mean, I think the biggest problem is communication. I think most of the time when I have to work with a farrier, or if there's a shoeing issue that I believe can be remedied, instead of doing it, you know, with a phone call or writing a prescription, I would recommend calling the farrier or calling the client and, and looping together where that you are at the barn at the same time. That you guys meet there and you talk about things. You take radiographs before you spend the time that it takes to assess the horse in the beginning. And then if they need films after they tack the shoe or after they trim, do that. Whatever it takes, I think, in that moment to show that you're willing as a vet to come to the table and, and listen to what the farrier's ideas are because there's not just one way to do something. That's the same as you know between farrier to farrier. I mean, everyone's gonna do it slightly different. But I think it comes down to communication and understanding each other's languages. On the whole, from what I've seen on my side, I mean, I'm a vet, but I see that there's a lack of respect in both directions between vets and farriers. It just doesn't have to be like that. They are professionals just like we are. And they have knowledge that we don't, just like we have knowledge they don't. And if we can, you know, come together, it's a better, it's, it's a meeting of the minds. You, you get a synergy there that should be there all the time, but, but most people don't allow it. So that's why I, I totally echo what most people would say about communication. That's the number one thing. So my business focuses around barefoot rehabilitation using boots and pads or casting or composite glue-on work versus metal. And there are times when a vet prescribes something that doesn't really fit into that. And I'm always happy to refer those horses elsewhere if the vet and owner want that. But is there a way that I can suggest something to the vet that I am able to do or provide for the horse that I think will be beneficial without, you know, sounding rude or, or off-putting? As far as, you know, I think every shoeing or trimming it doesn't matter what we're doing, should be a well thought out process. We can't be too polarized about the way we approach cases because every case is so individual. Now, if you're sitting there with a certain trim or a shoe that you think may benefit the case and you can communicate the benefits to the veterinarian, I would 100% go ahead and do that and see how receptive they are to it. 
but you know if that case doesn't respond well then it's time to dip back into your bag of knowledge and try something else so it, it really comes down to communication with me and i've i've just had so much luck with uh being open and honest and with veterinarians and just seeing what they have to say because every pathology is so different and uh, i think we need to keep that in mind so it's a difficult one i know uh, a lot of hoof care providers kind of struggle with it because we spend so much time researching these things and trying to do the best by these animals we can but ultimately as the veterinarian is also responsible for that case so it's certainly a fine line to walk between both parties and i think a lot of it you know establishing these good relationships with veterinarians is just it comes down to simple communication you know being articulate and certainly knowing your anatomy. A lot of the time, I think where the, the veterinarians and farriers kind of don't get on so well is showing prescriptions can get very precise. Um, and sometimes we need to deliver a concept more than an actual showing prescription. So, Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And I'm, I'm lucky that we have some really great teamwork in my area between vets and farriers. But there have been times where I feel like on either end, there might be some resistance even if we're talking not in front of the client and where there's, you know, less pressure from having to be professional in front of them. Do you know if there's a way to kind of diffuse that and show that you're not trying to, you know, sure. step any boundaries? I think that a lot of the time, you know, we can be pushed for time when we're at a client's place, but finding the time to just communicate with each other. And, you know, some hoof care practitioners are the most educated people in the horse industry about the horse's feet. And a lot of veterinarians are picking up on that. So just through open communication and letting that veterinarian know that you have spent some time studying this, um, you're passionate about the case. And, and I think a lot of the time as well, is it's just being open to new ideas. Um, we've got to be careful that we don't end up in a situation where we just apply the same principle to every single horse. You know, there's an infinite amount of possibilities with pathology and hoof capsule distortions so when or if i do meet any resistance i'm very very open to it i'll always hear the veterinarian out let them get their side across and then i'll just start kind of planting seeds of what i believe would be good for the case and hopefully we can meet in the middle somewhere so my name is Raul Brass and I'm from Lexington Kentucky I'm a vet at Root and Red Oakland Hospital and I went to um Cornell Farrier School as well with my bonus team. I've been with Root and Red Podiatry Department close to 15 years now. Originally from Puerto Rico, born and raised, and been with horses my entire life. So horses is just what I do every day. The pet fair relationship, something that the industry has been working on for since I started, to be honest with you. And I think about this all the time because a lot of times I, I have to work with both. And I have always asked myself a question, why Why is it that just sometimes it doesn't go well? And it's as simple, but it's as complicated as communication. It's not that we're not communicating or we're not talking, but a lot of times is there's that third party in there. There's that third person. That's the client. That's the owner. So sometimes we don't even communicate with the fair. The owner will be the one that tells the fair, well, the vet wants this, 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 this or vice versa, you know, she'll be going and talking to the farrier and be like, you know, he wants to dictate how exactly you shoot this horse, things like that. And sometimes I think that it's just probably taken in the wrong way because, you know, the more I think about this, you have two professionals, vets and farriers that are extremely passionate to what they do. So they take it very seriously, but we also have to, as a practitioner, talk to each other. We respect, and not only that, to to learn how to agree to disagree, because there's not a problem. There's been many situations where I've been talking to to a vet or a farrier, and, and I wouldn't agree what they're saying. I, I gotten to a point that instead of beating bushes or going around it, I just go directly, and I just said that, you know, with all respect, I don't agree with what you're recommending or you're saying, but we can talk about it. And actually, it's you end up having a better relationship because you bridge that gap that is between the vets and the fairs. I think that if we just directly have the vet call the fair or, you know, the fair call the vet and then directly communicating with each other, we might help out with the misunderstanding of he said, she said, you know, because a lot of times, Let's be realistic. Sometimes even the clients will basically request what they want and manipulate the situation with the vet in the fair so they get away with what they wanted, not what the vet wanted or not what the fair wanted. So, like I said, it's something simple, but it's a little bit complicated as well.
so do you think, you know, if there's a time that you see a horse that might have some other issues going on, like a, maybe there's some metabolic issues or maybe some diet issues where the feet are affected as a result, do you think that there's a time where that's appropriate to bring it up with the veterinarian? Yeah, I think the hoof care provider is always one of the first because we see the horses so regularly that we tend to notice these small differences and changes in weight and the effects of diet changes throughout the year. So quite often if I I do notice those and there's a history of the horse being metabolic, I'll just suggest that that, we do run some bloods on that horse and we get to the bottom of it before it becomes a problem. I kind of feel... Sometimes as hoof care practitioners, we're quite reactive to things. You know, the horse has had a laminitic bout and, you know, we're kind of picking up the pieces afterwards. As I'd, A lot of the time, I'd actually rather be more pragmatic about my approach to this work and hopefully avoid any pathology or any damage to the hoof capsule before it's a problem. So, yeah, I will definitely um, either call the client or text them and say, hey, look, I noticed, you know, the horse, pony, whatever it will be is is having a few issues or, you know, it looks like there is something potentially on the horizon. And normally um, that's very well received from my owners and trainers and, and they'll go forward and, and get some tests done on their horse. So I, I really find that that can be really beneficial to the relationship. I've always found veterinarians super receptive to anyone that cares about their clients as well, you know, because ultimately the relationship is, you know, there's three or more parties um, looking after these horses a lot of the time, you know, they've got chiropractors. I'll also talk to the chiropractors as we go and I'll be like, hey, look, this is what I'm noticing. The horse felt a certain way. And veterinarians seem to also appreciate it too. They're like, you know, you could just mention that the feet seem a little bit warm or the digital pulses are up. And, you know, especially in the bluegrass area, you know, the veterinarians are more than happy to shoot radiographs for you and we can take a quick look inside. And it really does come down to just that pragmatic mindset where we're continually trying to be ahead of the game. So, no, I've never seen negative responses just in kind of talking about the case because, you know, both parties, hoof care practitioners and veterinarians are very much involved in these cases. So getting the two to work together is just the most ideal situation. One thing I'm really appreciative in my area is I do have um, a veterinarian that I work with because he's my own personal horses veterinarian, and he covers a lot of the the horses in the area. And I think he's he's very open to dialogue with me about mutual clients that we have because he's seen me work on my own horse for six years. So we kind of naturally have that easygoing relationship. But with some other vets in my area, it's not... It doesn't seem that simple or that easy, and I'm not sure sure how to to better get that. I mean, not demand respect in any way, but... Just a bit of rapport, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, Let me see if I can come up with something, some epiphany here. Um, (laughs) I think what it comes down to is... I 100% support the farrier industry and the hoof care industry. You know, I think where we see a little bit of uncertainty from the veterinarians towards farriers is that, you know, like every veterinarian goes to vet school, they've got extensive schooling and they've spent years doing it, is, you know, to a large degree, the hoof care provider at every horse, there's a lot of disparity, not only in knowledge, but skill set. So from the... I'm now sounding like I'm advocating the veterinarian side, but the ability of the hoof care provider that the veterinarian is with, you know, they're not exactly as sure as what we are. We know that that veterinarian has had X amount of schooling. So, you know, there's a large variety and ability and knowledge within the hoof industry. And, you know, I'm not saying we should have legislation or anything like that. I don't think that's the answer, but it's a lot of the reason I teach. If I can enable that person to find that desire to learn more and more like I have and still try to continue, hopefully just generally the the farrier industry as a whole does better. The more people that we have surging for education, you know, I think overall, globally within the industry, it should help. Right. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, they, they're they coming at us as not knowing where we're, you know, what kind of background or education we've had, and it can be, you know, troubling for them. <laughs> yeah, so. there's so many ways to treat everything, you know, and I'm really appreciative of, of that because there's a lot of different theories within the horseshoeing industry. You could talk to someone about who's passed an axis and they'll absolutely advocate for that. And other people shoeing around the center of rotation, absolutely advocating for that. You, you know, we've had a, the barefoot community really 
come on strong in the last few years and that's wonderful and the reason i say it's wonderful is because i don't necessarily think there's one answer i think there's so many different answers at certain times i will use dr redden's theories and other times you know i'm thinking about dr bolker's work and how i can influence the back of the foot so i think a lot of the time as practitioners we're pulling all these pieces together and that's where you get someone really truly talented i think is that we have such an overview of all the styles we start amalgamating them and pulling different pieces together and that's almost like i think when the magic happens we you start seeing progress in the horse's feet i guess i'm saying that i would encourage everyone to get you know within the fair industry and the, just to become more open-minded about other theories and you know learn about them maybe use them maybe don't maybe on some feet they won't need that theory but maybe another horse will so I think it's just a good time to be kind of educated right across the board. I use the barefoot trim a lot, but I'll also shield on top of it too. You know, I think there's some, some of the fundamentals within the barefoot movement are just absolutely wonderful. They make so much sense, you know. And then other times, like I say, I'll pull in some of Rick Redden's kind of theories on certain pathologies and foot types, and I'll use that. Because I think there's ultimately there's an infinite amount of possibilities that you're going to come across as a hoof care provider. So the more options you have at your disposal, I think that's when we really become quite quite good at, you know, interpreting hoof capsule distortions and how we can influence them in a positive direction. So And is there a way to sort of, you know, talk a little bit about your own training and background without seeming like you're coming at them with a resume or <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On that subject, I find, you know, this industry, the hoof industry that we're in, is the most humbling industry that you could possibly hope for. I think retrospectively about my own practice back in New Zealand and now working for the hospital, you know, I've, I've had some cases that surprise me where they go well and others that just don't. So when it comes down to informing the veterinarian that you are experienced and you've spent time studying this, I think, you know, just tactfully go about it. You know, a lot of it is just trial and error a lot of the time and just be prepared to try new things. If we try one way and we're having no success, well, it would make sense to try another way. So just be open-minded, be flexible, because um, what I've found personally in those situations when I am of that mindset, that's when I actually learn the most. My name is Sam Zaleski. I am a resident farrier uh, here at Root and Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. I think that organizations like the NEAP that Stuart's involved with and Dr. Bross, and you have kind of a, a collaboration as far as the board of directors goes, you know, there's farriers and veterinarians involved uh, in the shot calling process. And I think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to take a few years to hopefully bridge this gap because it's, I, we all have to admit that there is quite a gap between veterinarians and farriers for sure. And I think it's it's organizations like this and, and several others that we need to really focus on and kind of try to bring the community together. So I think that it's, it's super important to have people like Stuart and people like Dr. Bross on both ends of the spectrum trying to bring everyone together a certain example, just a few weeks ago, I had a veterinarian that I don't work with that often on a horse out of town that I go take care of. They said almost four weeks into the shoeing that there was a bad nail by me. And most of us all know that a bad nail is not gonna present itself almost at the end of the shoeing cycle. And there's things like that, that I think if we continue to do this continuing education and bridging this gap between us to where hopefully we can try to bring stuff like that to an end. Just trying to, to put a lot of focus on bringing us together. Stuart has a phrase that he says a lot of times and I think it's it's very true and it, it's, it made me stop and think the first time he said it. He said that farriery is very much need of a huge leap forward. I think sometimes we get caught up in that argument of, well, we came from here and this is what traditionally we've always done and this is where we need to stay. And sometimes I think it's under that cloak of having, you know, basic skill and always just go back to the basics. And obviously I think that a lot of us hoof care providers are met with a lot of cases where we need to jump forward a little bit. And lots of times we need to collaborate with a veterinarian. And I, I think that that's one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is seeing what a vet and a farrier can accomplish when they really do work well together. 
In this day and age where horses are doing more and more and our diagnostic capabilities and our imaging capabilities have come so far, you know, we've gone from taking a radiograph and having to go back to the vet clinic to develop it just to find out that it's a bad shot to have to come back and retake it again. Now we have images that come up instantaneously and we can be there and check everything out and be so thorough that there's really no excuse for both of our industries anymore to not work together. So bringing that back to your own practice, what are the kind of horses that you see or work on the most? I've really always been drawn towards the sport horse. And that kind of will be, you know, jumping to dressage, to polo, to whatever event is, whatever it will be. And a lot of my work is managing pathology and just trying to keep, you know, horses with essentially high miles keep them going, which, you know, poses certainly a a lot of challenges along the way. I deal with a lot of soft tissue problems with horses' feet, especially, you know, the distal limb, there's just so much soft tissue structure down there. So typically on, you know, most days, that's kind of work I'm doing. Certainly, you know, navicular comes into it. Laminitis comes into it. The wonderful thing about the hospital is we've got some doctors at the hospital that are wonderful about managing laminitis. So I will push those cases their way if I feel like they're almost getting too high maintenance for me. I try to keep myself in a realm of what I'm reasonable at doing. You know, I'm not too shy in pushing a horse with unstable laminitis back to one of the other podiatrists at the hospital that is just has diagnostics at the drop of a hat. So. I really, at the hospital, I see a wide selection. And most of it that amazes me on a day-to-day basis is just, especially uh, with MRI, I've had a lot of MRI cases lately where the pathology that goes with those horses is is generally not anything you'd think it would be. It doesn't look like it would from the outside. And really makes me appreciate having diagnostics to kind of fine-tune my shoeing. Because some of the things I've seen recently, you know, there's just no way from the outside we could have known that that pathology was sitting there. Yeah. It certainly yeah. makes you appreciate what pathology a lot of horses are carrying. You know, like quite often a horse may go down for an MRI and we get the results. And I was like, yeah, I kind of suspected something like that. But then there's all this other stuff. And you're like, this horse has just got high miles on it for, for the horse's age and discipline. You know, you do see those horses with perfect feet. And you're like, this, there should be nothing wrong here. It, fits, it ticks all the boxes of what I like to see, but the horse is still lame. So. Yeah. So what is your favorite kind of case to work on? That's a tricky one. I, I just really enjoy seeing horses go back to their chosen discipline and compete. If we can take a lameness and we can turn it around, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. The challenge of managing pathology and the intricacies that go with it, it's that challenge for me where I'm constantly, I feel like the horse is continually challenging me to get better. So I really enjoy that. Yeah, I feel like it's something where we're always learning and adapting. So with that in mind, do you have any final tips for hoof care providers? I guess um, a lot of it just starts with just remain open-minded and make sure that you continue your education as you go. Certainly don't hesitate to bring a veterinarian into the the showing prescription if you need to and, and get those get those diagnostics and you know, make sure the horse is maintained with sports medicine as well. As far as the veterinarian and the farrier getting along, you know, my shoeing can be good, but with some good sports medicine and behind me, the horse can be really comfortable. So I think the integration of those two parties working together, we're going to see more and more of it in the future. So it's a good time to be on board with it. As far as dealing with hoof capsule, you know, confirmation and distortions go and pathology, I think it's just make sure you take the time to really look into the feet and kind of decipher what the feet are trying to tell you. Because ultimately, you know, they're going to adapt to environment and limb loading. It could be confirmation changes. And there's certain things we can kind of help. And then there's some things we're just going to have to manage as we go. Stay open-minded and enjoy what you do. I think that's a large part of it. I, I personally enjoy the challenge of it myself. And if you kind of see the situation like that, where there's a chance to make a change for that horse, do your homework and kind of just put it all together. Well, thank you all so right. much for all My your pleasure. time. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. I hope you have a great night. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> bye. Okay. Bye. 
I think the one thing that, that I've really respected about Stuart and that he's taught me a lot about how to deal with certain situations, he looks at things and he's always watching, watching feet and how feet are changing. And I think that lots of us uh, farriers at some points can be kind of guilty of the horse is going well, everything's okay. We might be noticing some subtle changes in the feet whatever it may be maybe the hairline's starting to jam up on one side maybe we're starting to get a small toe crack or things like that and i think sometimes we get a little bit afraid to change things while the horse is doing well but we're starting to see something that's detrimental to the foot per se and stewart's always been one of those people that i've seen where he notices those things and he's not afraid to make a change to hopefully just keep everything going that way to where we don't sacrifice the horse losing a month or two because he pops a quarter crack or something, he might notice some subtle change going on. Like, hey, I think we need to head this off and nip it in the bud. And he can communicate that to the client well enough. He has a gift kind of being able to talk to people. And that's one thing that I really respect and something I've really tried to emulate. Stuart pretty much always says it right the first time. He is, <laughs> he's, he's amazing. He's a natural. Um, he's so well-spoken and very thoughtful and just he really knows what he's doing. And he's just an all-around great guy. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof-obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.